Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. How are you? What's up? How you doing? Oh, man, it's the end of the year. And so what better time for me to go to a rally rally for Palestine and have some ice fall from the sky and give me a concussion? (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. You know how it is. Are you okay? How are you feeling? I'm feeling lucky. I'm feeling lucky because like it hit me of all people in the crowd of like several hundreds of people. So that's like almost winning the lottery of a sort. Uh, and my glasses protected my head really well because they, they they smashed <laughs> as a result of the force. Um, but I also feel lucky because I was wearing my sunglasses, even though it was super cloudy, but I thought it was just a little too bright to wear my regular glasses. And so my actual regular glasses are fine. So all things considered, I'm moving a bit slower today. My head hurts and podcasting is kind of perfect for a concussion because I'm just sitting here with my eyes closed thinking about the wonderful conversation we're going to have today. Well, that deserves a holiday. <laughs> a concussion oh, certainly hell yes. <laughs> deserves a holiday. I'm sorry that happened. That's okay. How are you? I'm doing great. I submitted the first draft of the manuscript of my book this morning. And oh my I'm God. Feeling, yeah, I am feeling really, really, really great about that because um, uh, I, I submitted it with, with good references. <laughs> And if, uh, if you know what it's like to go through references for like a really large piece of writing and double check them and make sure that everything's good, um, you know, hell. And so (laughs) that Mm. little last bit of it really sucked. And I'm really happy for it to be, uh, off to somebody else's eyes. So I'm very happy about that. Mm, yes, that's awesome. That is the one of the best moments of book writing. So congratulations. And, you know, this is our last episode of 2023. Last episode. Thanks for being on the ride with us, y'all. Like you folks have been such an amazing audience. Nora, we're number three. <laughs> I know. I know. It's like, okay, so folks, there are something called podcast charts. I mean, you know, I'm always looking at them and being like, oh, okay. And in the politics podcasting chart, Sandy and Nora is the third most listened to podcast in politics that's Canadian in the Canadian podcast charts. That's amazing. It's, It's amazing. I mean, look, Canadians listen to American podcasts, too. So if you if you really care, we're like number ten, which is still amazing, you know. Uh, when you get put in the American, uh, the American news, but we're we're number three in Canada, and that's thanks to all of you. And it's been such a great year uh, being able to come and see a bunch of you uh, in your local places. We've had a lot of fun doing that, and we just you know really appreciate all of you uh, for for tuning in every week, for listening, for engaging with us. Uh, We love it. So thanks for being around this year. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. We'll be back obviously in January. Not sure when. We're going to take a couple weeks off and decide when we are ready to come back. Um, Though the daily news will continue. uh, You'll hear on the daily news what that schedule is going to be like. I suspect the daily news will be back before Sandy and Nora, but you know, you never know. There's a lot of news. So maybe maybe we'll be encouraged to get back. I don't know. Um, one of the things that we are hoping in the new year is that we can hire someone to help us with the daily news. So that whole experiment uh, now coming to one year of fruition is pretty much 100% volunteer by me. And I need some help because it's a ton of work, especially when I'm on the road. So that requires a bit of extra money. If in 2024, you find yourself with a little bit of extra money and you want to donate it to Sandy Nora, we're going to make sure it goes right to hiring someone who can help write scripts for two days a week. So not tons and tons and tons of work, but we want to make sure that they're well paid. So think about that. If that's in your budget, if that's something you can do, um, you know, hey, it's the holidays. You can gift somebody who you know might love Sandy and Nora, give them a little $5 per month donation and say it's come into the show and we would appreciate that and we'll put it to really good use. Yeah, that would be amazing. I think that, you know, as we take a look at uh, the Canadian media landscape, all of the job losses over the year, 
over the years, but like certainly over this year, um, and the the dearth in in reporting, like what's missing, um, we're really acutely aware of the role that we fill, uh, both as like analysis, but and increasingly as news, as we have these uh, these ten minute markers for you, and we'd love to hear from you if there's any other ideas that you have for how Sandy and Nora can be helpful to you, let us know. We'll consider it. And, um, and we'll, we'll see if that's something that we can manage uh, in the new year. Uh, we do really think that what we're doing here is necessary. It itself was a bit of an experiment. And I think it's going well. I think it's a net positive. <laughs> so um, thanks again for all of you. And if you, if you feel like um, you could help us out in that way, we would, we would love, love, love to be able to hire someone uh, to help write, write that news. And we, we love you anyway and have gratitude for you anyway. <laughs> so we've got some people to thank this week. Yes, that's right. We do. Thank you so much to everyone who's donated at patreon.com, especially to Sarah, Yolanda, Jeffrey, Roy, Kristen, Stephanie, Sam, Jelena, Jennifer, Natalie, Asim, Kylie, Linnea, Ebony, Moremi, Allison, Victoria, Dominic, Sam, um, Meet a Lowly Abject Turd, Oh, I'm sure you're not that lowly, Mr. Turd. And Colin, Handy, and Nagib. Thank you so, so much, everybody. And Sandy, you know what? I just want to make a fine point. Okay, so we're number three. Did you see who's number two and number one? Oh, my God. No, I... Nor, you look at the charts. I just just do this thing and enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Number two is Paul Wells, who's a longtime writer at McLean's. And number one is Peter Mansbridge. And it is so interesting to me that uh, there's such a generational divide. There's such a kind of media divide, certainly political analysis and political perspective. Those are both conservative men, but they're also both men who've had full careers, fully funded mainstream careers in Canadian journalism. And then here we are just nipping at their heels. Oh, that just means we're number one. <laughs> that just means we're number one. <laughs> I like I like the reveal. You should have told me that before. <laughs> We're not we're not number three by any stretch of the imagination. Those those are number two, number one. No, no, no. We're not we're we're number one among the audience that we care about. <laughs> so, <laughs> so wow, I feel even better. <laughs> I don't doubt that we can unseat Mr. Mansbridge. Oh come on, <laughs> we we absolutely must be able to do that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, wow. Okay, so it's the end of the year, Sandy, and what a year! What a year! What. A year. Oh my God. What a year. What a year. I I mean, it's like, it's really difficult almost to do a a retrospective of the year because, you know, the last chunk of it has just felt so all-encompassing by by war and the realization of like, uh, who runs this place and what, what, their thoughts are on genocide. I mean, like, yeah, we, we've all had like the realization of who runs this place a million times before and like who they are, but it's a different kind of knowing now, I feel like. And, and, and also it's, it's hard because it just feels like, you know, there, there's been one overarching uh, story of this year, like when people remember 2023, uh, the, the slaughter um, in Gaza is going to be what is remembered of this year, 20 years from now. Uh, and I mean, of course it should be. Uh, but I mean, even the news coming out this week has been, I mean, it just continues to, to get more and more like uh, unbelievable from from 20 percent of uh of the soldiers uh of the idf their um killings being from a friendly fire to hostages um israeli hostages being killed by the idf on on site three of them uh who were waving white flags uh and speaking hebrew at them the death toll and speaking hebrew asking for help to the death toll again being uh, 
there's now a new count that uh, of the Israeli death toll on October 7th. And uh, it just seems stunning that it has gone from uh, 1,400 um, deaths to um, now by, uh, the, by this new count to, to um, below 700. I, like I'm, I'm, I continue to be just, you know, stunned by the news that's coming out. You know, they, they say fog of war, but of course, uh, you don't really know what that's going to mean. And uh, each, each week, uh, the news is, is more and more horrifying. Uh, and the scale of the carnage and the slaughter is more and more horrifying. Mm-hmm. So 2023, um, what an awful, awful year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. It's really hard to think of anything that came before October 7th because this seems to have taken up, you know, a ton of political tension as it should. It's reignited activist movements in a way that we have not seen in decades in Canada as it should have. And so thinking about like before then, I'm like, oh, my God, what else happened this year? And of course, there's been a lot of amazing things that have happened this year, like uh, the tenant organizing and tenant union organizing, you know, shout out to the folks at the York Southwestern Tenants Union, who've just had a victory after a 74 hour occupation of their landlord's offices to have a woman given the keys back to her apartment over uh, something like $500 uh, late payment or non-payment of rent for one month, like just completely ridiculous and, and, and horrible. But that really has been the story of 2023 is that the affordability crisis has taken center stage. Inflation has started to kind of let up and we're seeing what was left in its wake, you know, people being forced to repay mortgages at rates that they can't afford, the skyrocketing use of food banks in every corner of this country, the the the, the homelessness crisis and encampments. You know, we know we're recording on Monday this morning, Edmonton police had planned to clear out eight encampments across the city of Edmonton right before Christmas, like sending people out of the only shelter that they have and confiscating their materials, their personal belongings. Uh, the grocery barons making more money, the, the telecoms making more money, the oil companies all making more money, a summer of wildfires, a summer of chaotic weather. I mean, Christ, right now I've got 50, 50 I should say centimeters because there should be, should be snow, but 50 millimeters of rain falling in Quebec City and it should be snow. Like it has been a catastrophic year. And so, of course, ending a catastrophic year with a catastrophic war, I guess, makes some sort of poetic sense. But it has been horrifying to see the callousness of people in power over over everything and how the most radical thing that we've got in Ottawa is saying we should call for a ceasefire, which is just like the most basic thing that should be called for. That should be something everybody should be able to agree on, like cease the fire, stop firing on people. This is basic. So yeah, it's been a pretty bad year. I mean, on the positive, other than the really great organizing work that's been going on. Uh, Wait, we are before f- we get to the positive, I, I just want to add a few things to that list. <laughs> I was, so, and I actually, I was going to throw back to you to get negative because I was just going to say we are further away from COVID than we were in 2020, even though it's not gone away and it's still around and it's still making people sick. We are back to some sort of apocalyptic normal. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I do want to say that's that's positive from that is 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 that that small move to to a ceasefire is not to to Canada calling for a ceasefire and you know the world uh, putting pressure on uh, Israel to uh, to to move to a ceasefire that comes from the pressure of organizing and it comes from the the reignition of the organizing in Canada. I mean. Had it not been for the relentlessness of the organizers, for the refusal to give up, even when being targeted by employers, by educators uh, and institutions, um, by the government, for Christ's sake, calling out some of these people um, directly in, uh, in uh, legislatures, uh, and even uh, MPs like Anthony Housefather trying to recreate what's happened in the United States, uh, calling on uh, colleges and universities uh, to 
um, to essentially uh, try to stamp out um, any speech that is uh, supporting um, Palestinians uh, or be hauled into a, a hearing. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. The refusal from folks to, to, to bow uh, to power demanding um, that or saying that there will be McCarthyist uh, consequences um, to to your voices saying um, uh, a ceasefire, ceasefire now or stop the genocide or stop the siege, um, you know, that that is what has pushed our uh, our government to, to take this step, which means, you know, of course, again, the government can be pushed and it can be pushed to do more. Other things that happened this year, like I think a, a big theme of this year, too, is the continuing to to cede away power to 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 corporations. Um, you know what what we have done um, collectively as like, you know, a, a country in um, and just like the world uh, in giving more and more power uh, to the tech giants. And seeing what that has wrought on us, like for everything from what is going on on Twitter uh, to to uh, how um, the the tech giants could control um, the the in a way the access that we have to certain types of news in this country and to kind of throw around um, our politicians and make demands of them and not the other way around, uh, to the big sort of AI revolution uh, and everything that's going on in terms of uh, predictive algorithms and how that is going to change our world. It's like that has been another really major news story of the year that, uh, quite frankly, at this point, we just do not have a handle on. And um, it's going to take some deep politics uh, to try to to figure out, like, folks, should we not all own this stuff? Shouldn't we own a version of this stuff as people um, with a motive that is deeper than just profit? And if that the answer to that question is yes, and if we should be able to own the regulation of it, then we have a lot of a lot of hard work to do. Oh, my God. I mean, a lot of hard work is maybe an understatement. Like, we're nowhere and our institutions on the left are absolutely nowhere in talking about this stuff. Like, sure, unions are negotiating around AI, and that is one way for people to push back against this kind of using AI to attack all of us and to steal our information and to replace us. You know, you can do that through you can do that through negotiations, of course. But, God, like 2023 was a year where we had no left-wing opposition in Ottawa. And I think it's really important to state that plainly. The NDP is still riding this ridiculous agreement that they have with the Liberals where they are not actually able to be an opposition because at the end of the day, they are propping up the Liberals. That means they wear the decisions of the liberals and it's all been in the service of don't worry, we're going to get pharmacare, we're going to get dental care. And sure, the dental care plan has been announced. I'm still totally skeptical that it's going to actually deliver what people are promising it's going to deliver. We'll have to see the details. I, I've been trying to carve out like five minutes to read the details of this program. But you know what? Even if it was total and free and full dental care, that does not actually equal giving up the role of opposition. And if you think about everything from the affordability crisis and the food crisis and housing and blah, 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 to have not actually had an effective opposition in Ottawa, that's a huge deficit that we've had, that we've had to endure for the whole year. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at some point, I think, um, you know, the, 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 the sort of energy um, that uh, the, the left has right now, um, we should be thinking really deeply about what that means, um, where we put that energy into having uh, some sort of voice um, uh, in Ottawa. Like, what, what would it mean uh, to have that? Because we see the importance of it. Um, you know, I obviously there's limits to the the type of things that you can achieve um, in big P politics. But I think that there is a a necessity in in having uh, people who 
aren't going to be afraid to say um, in in the face of a genocide, in the face of a of a uh, longstanding global uh, issue that, you know, there is like, it's pretty clear, like, uh, you know, what, what, uh, where you should land, like, we, we need a, a voice like that, that's going to be there um, to push not only like the political sphere in, in the right direction, but, but also that the political sphere has an impact on culture, and what uh, is allowed to be discussed in um, our national media and uh, on the news, in analysis, and and we need we need people who are not going to be afraid to to push those buttons. And um, I think you know it's it's high time we figure out what that what that means. And so um, maybe that's something that we take into into the new year because again, like the 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 consequences can be very very grave as we've seen yep. this year. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and culture is not just like, you know, the, the, the creation of culture, what's allowed to be said, what's not allowed to be said, and who's sticking their neck out, who's getting fired as a result. And we know that that's all happened. But it's also about constricting our lives to such extreme extents that we'd have no time to create culture. You know, like, like the way that we understand these crises is so rarely talked about from the perspective of uh, intentionally stopping us from having time to breathe and create and think and do creative things and to resist. And so, you know, like a couple of weeks ago, I was on a picket line talking to someone who uh, works in my kid's school. And I was saying, so how's the strike been? And and this person had is not a teacher. They've only been on strike with the Franc Commune. So they were on strike for days instead of like weeks. And uh, they were like, you know what? It's great. I get to write poetry again. Right. And I was thinking of my partner who, when he was on strike for five weeks last April, um, he went right to writing music again um, because he wasn't allowed to touch anything. Uh, and, you know, as professors, that's really, really hard. So we had to do something because otherwise he would have just done his work and he wasn't supposed to. And, you know, that kind of space to be able to create, it isn't just good for individuals. I mean, it is good for individuals, but it's actually what creates the sense of community, of belonging and of culture and of identity that Canada does not have. You know, like there is a need if this country is going to continue to have some sort of national uniting culture. And when you destroy people's ability to make culture, whether through making rents too high or studios impossible to afford or granting councils that just don't give enough money to enough people and make really bad decisions based on very silly criteria, you know, (laughs) you get no culture. You get no culture. And so then all of a sudden it's like, well, what in the hell holds this country together? Like, what exactly is it that makes someone living in British Columbia the same person as someone living in Regina? And, you know, as someone that actually doesn't think that Canada should be held together, um, I do think, though, that culture is important in imagining a new Canada. So, like, I still think we need culture. Um, But from the perspective of someone who's like a a, a patriotic Canadian, like this is self-immolation. It's self-immolation. And the only thing that it's leaving behind are pieces for the far right to pick up. I had a friend who was in Toronto last week for a conference. My friend is American uh, and lives not in English Canada. And was she was saying to me, like, the touchy-feely fake bullshit that was, like, just so present at this conference was so English-Canadian She's like, if this was in Quebec, people would have actually debated. There would have been passionate interventions. There would have been like arguments. But it was so passive that she said that if this is how like Canadian institutions right now operate, institutions being anything from universities to like the healthcare system and healthcare institutions to the educational system and educational institutions, then of course Pierre Polyever is going to have a fucking walk in the park because there's no combativeness. There's no passion. There's no anybody saying, hold on, this is a disaster. And instead, what what is worse is saying like that kind of like feverish reaction to what's going on right now is what serves Pierre Polly ever. And so instead, we all have to actually be very calm. We have to stand behind the liberals. Uh, we have to uh, not be crazy. Don't go and disrupt Santa and make children cry because there's no connection between Santa and Bethlehem, which is in the occupied territories that's being bombed by Israel. Like, 
it's 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 really nuts. It's chaotically nuts. And the impact is so devastating on our collective sense of who we are and our collective ability to do anything that the only thing that benefits from this level of chaos and disorganization is the far right, which is then why we're like, oh, my God, we can't do anything to stop the far right. I can't believe it. Uh, uh, uh. It's very, very bad. <laughs> Yeah, it's very, very bad. But this space to create, this like figuring out time and space to create is someone who like works from home by myself <laughs> for uh, in, a, in a choice that at the time didn't know if it was the right choice to, to do something like that. Um, and like, who knows, like, I might not be able to do this forever, you know, like, that's not uh, uh, something that I'm, you know, 100% confident of. But whenever you have the ability to create that space for yourself to create and to figure out what it is that that you are and what you want to do that is one a political act it's a it's a political thing to be able to to say no i'm i'm going to um try to figure out how i can live for myself in some ways and like whether that means leisure or or creating something that is deeply political like uh this podcast um it is something that is is good for you personally for your soul for your mental health and for a community that is in desperate need of culture like how could it be that so many of us um, you know, our lives are just are just dedicated <laughs> to making other people wealthy, uh, the, to, that our lives are dedicated to just like um, being as, um, you know, as like easygoing and non-confrontational and non-risk taking as possible. Well, that's that's the life that someone else uh, or a, a whole bunch of someone else's have imagined for the majority of us. And uh, yeah, that's not good enough. And, you know, we've, we've talked before about how like that, like that is the essence of Canadian culture is like this fear or like um, taking the easiest path forward or, or something, which may have something to do with being like the, the golden child of the monarchy <laughs> or something. Mm. And like, if anyone's written about that, let me know, because I want to read that book. Um, but <laughs> I fucking refuse <laughs> I don't want that. I don't want to, anything to do with that. And any way that we can push back on that thing is really, really good uh, for for all of us. Mm-hmm. No, it really is. And uh, and and you know, making those kinds of connections, like understanding that there is a connection between uh, the state overloading us all with everything and the state aligning with a genocidal project right now conducted by the state of Israel. If we're too busy to protest, if we have too much to lose, if we're too afraid of losing our jobs, then we're not going to use the platforms that we have to speak out. And, you know, at the same time, I, I think that one of the things that has surprised me in 2023 and surprise, I mean, I don't use that word really with tr the full force of what it means, but I have noted it, I guess, is like just how much more brazen police have been with their brutality. And uh -huh. there's not really anywhere with a good list of like police murders that happen in this country. There's a, there's a Wikipedia that hasn't been updated in, in very long. And I know there's groups like Winnipeg Police Cause Harm that keep track certainly of statistics that are for Winnipeg Police. But it is my sense that there have been more people killed by police in 2023 than we would have seen in 2019. For example, maybe, Sandy, you've got a better idea than that. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think I'm wrong. And, you know, when I was doing a, a, a look around to see how many people had been killed just in the last two weeks in Canada by police, I found three people, two in Edmonton and one in a rural community in, in Saskatchewan. And it's like, what is going on there? Yeah, no one does seem to be counting that uh, in this country, which is uh, really it's a it's a it's a really big hole um that uh, certainly like i you know i wish we had the type of organization that would be able to fill it and i'm hoping that maybe um someone steps up to the plate but it, we don't have that um that 
anyone doing that work right now. But it is the case that like fucking worldwide uh, cops are becoming more brazen. It's not just in Canada. And, uh, and, you know, we've talked about before how police are like related to one another, like around the world, you know, from um, the IDF, uh, you know, will will do some training with cops in the United States, cops in Canada on campuses, on different campuses around the world to the RCMP doing training in Ukraine, and in places all over the world. It's like, really intense how well organized they are internationally in a way that you probably don't think about. And so when you start to see things like um, the the cops uh, carrying uh, assault rifles on the streets of Toronto and um, that, that weird video that went viral last week, I don't know if you've see, seen it, of like um, cops running down the street in downtown Toronto trying to catch a speeding car with these massive rifles and then obviously that's not a way to catch a speeding car and getting really tired and like running back to their vehicles with their massive rifles. It's just like when you see this really bizarre shit, it's like, um, you know, the, the, do the police in Toronto need right assault rifles? No, they don't, but their friends are getting them elsewhere. So they demand it too. And it's the reason why you see like these the the sort of uh, military um, uh, vehicles in 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 smaller communities than you would imagine that you would have anything like that uh, for for the police because they're getting them elsewhere and it's like you know really bizarre being in a place like L.A. where there's like um, helicopters everywhere and then you like turn around while getting a coffee and there's like an, a police ATV rover thing running down rolling down the street like next to a prius and you're like what the fuck is going on (laughs) why would anybody need this the cops are getting more bold everywhere and part of it is because of this sort of backlash that has happened uh, to the movement in 2020 and uh, people being really really uh, critical of police at the same time um, some of the the things that uh, that people have Uh, demanded coming out of 2020, most notably um, different services for uh, emergency services for people um, who are dealing with mental health crises. That has been growing. That's been growing all over the world. uh, And and that is really incredible to see. So look, like the the possibilities for shifting um, uh, policing are are first like fucking massive. Like we we can absolutely win this, and in some ways we again, as we've said before, we have because people are more critical of the police than uh, than they ever have been. Um, and it's up to us to continue that fight and to say like w- the police should not be anywhere near schools. The police should not be anywhere near people who are dealing with housing insecurity. They should not be anywhere near fucking anyone. <laughs> we we. Just, you know, we need to continue um, uh, talking about these issues and we need to be aware that in Canada, some of the most awful ways that the police operate is to hide everything that they are doing from us. Mm. But it's funny you say that because even when they don't hide it from us, the journalists that cover police sometimes still just buy the police line. I'm not sure if you saw last week a a video from the Palestinian youth movement in Toronto posted an image of a guy or a video of a guy who police kneeled on his neck. And it's yes, it's clear. I mean, like the only way that they didn't kneel on the guy's neck is if this guy somehow didn't have a neck and that his head and his body just had no neck. That would be the only way that the police could say they did not kneel on this person's neck because you can see it very clearly. And still CBC News carries the headline video appears to show it's like no it definitely shows you can you don't have to couch that it definitely shows that police say it didn't happen police say <laughs> it didn't happen <laughs> I'm, I, I, I'm sorry I, i'm okay um so they it did that's the headline yeah 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 hmm. that's a that's a choice cbc <laughs> It's a choice to also have that article be unbylined so that we can't follow up with the journalist and be like, hey, what the fuck? 
uh, so we can't. Oh man, Nora, <laughs> in my book, this isn't something I, I mentioned, but you know, a lot of the sources have to do with like stuff that's been reported right. and there's a lot that's reported about police that do not have bylines. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that uh, in uh, when in the COVID book that I wrote too, CBC News is especially bad at this. The Canadian press is bad too. Um, and certainly with the Daily News podcast, I'm seeing that as a pattern that there is consistently, especially in Toronto, I have to say that it feels like Edmonton has really good local journalism and it doesn't matter where people are at, if they're at CTV or the Edmonton Journal or CBC, but in Toronto, especially CBC's like, now nah, we're not going to, we're not going to name the person that wrote this shit. And it's like, Hmm, what was that decision? So here you have this article of a guy of, of the police saying that didn't happen. You can literally watch the video and CBC pulled out stills where it's very, very clear that it did happen. And then the article is all about whether or not it did or didn't happen and not about the fact that anybody at a Palestinian solidarity movement would be so threatening to police that he's getting his neck stepped on in this illegal and dangerous maneuver. Like, we cannot count on mainstream journalists to hold anybody to account. We've got a national columnist um, uh, industry that is like disappointed that Canada called for a ceasefire. Like, please put your bloodthirstiness away, Andrew Coyne, being all like, oh, no one represents me anymore, that we're calling for the violence to stop. Like, are you kidding me? Uh, just this like total fidelity to Israel and they can do no wrong even when they're killing their own fucking citizens as hostages. Like, you know, that that story, especially for me coming out, shows that Israel is probably doing way worse than what we're seeing and that they were forced to admit that because there's more information that could probably come out that might come out. Who knows? That that's a crisis communications decision, because, of course, what we see is like a tiny fraction of what's actually happening. That's the case all the time in every single war. And at the same time, the death toll of journalists has risen to 90 in Gaza. 90. That would be the equivalent. That is astronomical. Oh, my God. Yeah, that is the equivalent of, of more than 1600 Canadian journalists being killed since October 7th. Okay, and, you know, I saw someone today say, oh, like, uh, remember Charlie Hebdo? This seems like kind of astronomically bigger than Charlie Hebdo. And somehow it was the Canadian media establishments like unified line to take uh, to be in solidarity with the journalists of Charlie Hebdo, obviously in France, when, when eight of them, I think, were killed in 2015. The silence about Gaza, the silence about Palestine is disgusting. And Canadian journalism will never recover from this. And what's worse is there are average Canadians seeing this saying, this doesn't make any sense. Where is this complete loyalty to the IDF coming from within Canadian media? Yeah. And the, the thing about um, that story of, uh, of, of someone being beaten and having their necks um, kneeled on uh, in in the in the protest in Toronto, like that story isn't like whether it happened or not. Like what? Like the story there is about the repression of Canadian voices who have been very, very, very loud and very, very organized across the country in saying. Uh, joining together, demanding a ceasefire, an end to genocide, and an end to the siege. And that story, CBC News, is missing. Because that story, it, if you if you are concentrating on that story, you get to talk about all of the different ways that that is happening to people across the country. You get to talk about why the police are being deployed in this way across the country. And you get to talk about the police who themselves have been saying over and over, ah, hey guys, we're uh, we're having a, um, a an increased presence just to make sure everybody's safe uh, during during the, this wartime. Like, what the fuck is that? Like, I I want a story about that. Like, the police have been saying that for some time. What is that doing to police budgets? What does that mean for overtime? What does that mean for like a force that we know like these people get, you know, they, they expect to have some sort of confrontation when they're saying something like that and they get fucking bored and they look for it. Like you can see it in that in that fucking video. There's this there's one person and how many cops are there? Plus the the, the cops who immediately 
um, get ready to to shield using their bodies to shield um, what's happening from the cameras. Like that is a story that these cops are being used in this way when people are literally saying we want peace. Like that is a massive story. And instead to say, yeah, protests video appears to show this cops say no like what i mean that one of these things is journalism and the other is like what like who cares (laughs) like why why would that be something that would be a headline yeah yeah okay well here we are it's it's the end of 2023 we're looking forward to 2024 I don't imagine either of us think that things are going to get better, certainly not on their own. Uh, and it's only any it's anyone's guess how organizing is going to shift and change. Uh, what is clear, I want to shout out the Migrant Workers Alliance for Change. It's their fifth anniversary, and that is an umbrella organization of groups that fight for justice for migrant workers. Their creation five years ago has led to an incredible amount of attention and solidarity and support for migrant workers. And that's a really good model that demonstrates what you can do in this country with its federated structure and many, many different moving parts. So happy birthday to them and check them out if you're not aware of their work. But Sandy, let's maybe close this out with some predictions for 2024. Are you feeling bold? (laughs) I always feel bold. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, while you think of a prediction that you want to ask me, I'm going to ask you first. Prediction, what goes on in Ottawa? What happens with Justin Trudeau in 2024? There's no election planned, but could there be? What do you think? Ooh, an election in 2024? Uh, It's possible i suppose like i don't i do not think uh that the ndp i mean I, I don't know who knows but like it would be really weird if they let it ride out until like the natural election point um mm. but i i don't know i'm not sure like uh, there needs to be a plan <laughs> to, to do better because at this point um if there is going to be an election it's going to be really simple for pierre so there needs to be some uh, organizing on the left, if if that is to be useful in some way, and so the answer, hmm, I'm I'm gonna say yes. Oh, because I just I yeah I I I think wow yeah very bold it is bold I, I think yes because I don't. I just, I can't imagine a world where they just let the election ride out um, in 2025. And so I, that, that means that it needs right. to be called beforehand. I think it'll be late. <laughs> mm. I think it'll be over something ridiculous. <laughs> and I think that there will be some sort of attempt, maybe like a national tour or something like that, um, both from the liberals and the NDP to sort of rehabilitate their leaders um, their leaders' uh, images. Like, I I don't really think that Justin Trudeau is going to run again, even though he said that he he is. But, you know, the, the liberals will have to do something mm-hmm. to rehabilitate their image. Um, and, like, more importantly, yeah. it means that uh, uh, for us, like, given that timeline, um, for us on the left, um, we have some really important work to do and a really important opportunity this year. And whether or not that means having the type of influence that we would want to have on the election this year or gearing up to have the type of election we would want, uh, influence we would want to have on an election in years to come, um, either of those things are important. And I, and I hope that there's a way that we can uh, build that, that that's the more important thing. Um, Mm. but yeah, I think, I think, I think I'm going to say yes. Hmm. I think that that's probably a fair prediction. I don't know if it's triggered though by, I don't think it's triggered by the NDP. I don't think that they have any capacity to do anything and they prefer to never be in an election ever again if they can avoid it. Um, I do think though that the liberals are opportunists and they will call a snap election if they think that there's a crisis that is stopping Polly ever from getting government. Um, I don't know what that crisis might be. It could be anything. It's hard to know because Polly Ever has so far kind of avoided a lot of, um, you know, scandals and criticism, which is a little bit surprising. But I do think that um, 2025 seems a bit far away. The only thing that might stop all of that, though, is 
if the liberals find themselves in a leadership race, which they very, very well may. And I think that that is more likely than an election in 2024. And so if that's the case, it'll be like, I don't know, a hell show of Mark Carney versus Christian Freeland versus Melanie Jolie versus Mark Miller. And um, that the liberals might use to try and change the channel on everything, because I think that the credibility of the liberals has plummeted with their reaction to Israel. And they know that, but it's not clear that the conservatives are going to benefit from that because the conservatives have been even worse. So that's a very, very interesting political thing that I'm going to be watching for. What do you think um, the biggest news in Canadian media is going to be next year? Do you think that we continue to see um, astronomical job losses or do you think that there is some sort of turning tide in 2024, something different that happens um, that leads to some sort of shift. Mm. I I don't think that there's anything that's going to be positive. Uh, Anything that's positive is going to take years to build. And we're already in the middle of those kinds of experiments right now. I think that Canada land shows the limits of the rich guy financed uh, user financed media uh, model that the second that someone becomes kind of too big for their own media corporation or empire or, or cooperative or collective or anything that they become a liability uh, if they fall out with the listeners. And so I'll be watching what happens to Canada land because I think that that's going to be an indication for where independent media might be able to go in this Canada, in this country as the most successful independent media uh, around that isn't like of the far right. But on the mainstream world, I think we're going to continue to see post media to slide into full blown propaganda mode. And we're going to still we're going to see more job losses. And the real question for me as someone from southwestern Ontario is what will be the fallout of the Metroland media stuff? Who is covering city and town council meetings? What kind of corruption are we never going to hear about because of that? And um, and another year of watching our institutions within the media world uh, not really be able to, to deal with any of that stuff, not be able to throw out innovative and new projects and trying to fix anything at all. Wow. Yeah, that. um that's bleak, Nora. Uh, <laughs> what do you <laughs> what do you hope for for twenty twenty four as a as a final sort of question? Oh my God, um, I think that this organizing that we're seeing around Palestine, uh, there's two possibilities uh, that happen to it. One is that it fizzles and nothing happens, especially uh, as uh, you know, if if some sort of global campaign stops Israel's attack on Gaza the energy will be kind of removed to turn those that that level of mobilization into something. So I'm really, really hopeful that that's not what happens, that instead the organizing that has come together to support Palestine morphs into something that's more permanent. And not that um, that permanent structure has to be like super, super formal, but you know, a lot of organizing that came out of the anti-war and anti-globalization movements in the late uh, 1990s and the early 2000s paved the way for new kinds of organizing after in the 20, in the 2000s, which was then crushed by various things. Um, I think that our only hope is a lot of that, that organizing. And especially when it comes to campus, the people who are learning how to talk to people and organize rallies and flyer and do things last minute and deal with cops. Those are the people that have the skills to build other things as well, or to build a real solidarity movement with Palestine to go on beyond whatever happens in the next couple of months. So I think that that's probably my biggest hope. Um, you know, I I don't have much hope in, in, in popular movements being able to stop things yet, like the affordability crisis or whatever. But I do think that like the hopefulness around the tenant union organizing is really, really exciting. And um, if that continues to grow, then, you know, the sky's the limit on what tenants are able to do to push back against bad landlords. What about you? I think my biggest hope is that um, all of this organizing becomes more powerful. And I think that in one way that uh, that this type of organizing can become more powerful is if we um, do as much as we can to get that organizing off the Internet and to start organizing more and more in person. And to do the sort of organizing that includes um, disagreement and conflict uh, and and different approaches like that stuff is good. It is 
good to have um, a whole bunch of different approaches and to figure out where you want your um, your organizing uh, identity to live, but to also understand that you are part of something that's much larger that doesn't look um, like exactly the same in in each place, and that also recognizes that we that we need everybody to be a part of it, and that we're going to to struggle with one another through the contradictions that we have because um, we must rely on each other and there's um, nothing else because there's nothing else. It's, it's, we, we, we only have one another. And I'm hoping that that is becoming more and more obvious uh, as we're organizing for things that are more and more urgent um, because, you know, there's no time to waste on, on uh, the, the, um, uh, all of the crises that are kind of facing us. And so um, that is my hope, uh, is for more power to be held uh, within uh, the people who are organizing on the ground and for, for that power to, to really become um, infectious because we're doing it in front of one another and understanding what it's like uh, to organize uh, within each other's like, like just like the like energies and like our um you know the what it takes to to have like a confrontation and argument with one another and then struggle towards something where we can be moving forward together it's such a it's like a beautiful thing to be able to do something like that and i'm and i'm hoping that all of the intense organizing of this year leads us to more and more of that totally Totally. Well, you know, uh, I know you celebrate Christmas. I celebrate Christmas. Uh, this is going to be a really sad Christmas, frankly, knowing what's going on in Bethlehem and what's going on in Palestine and Gaza specifically. Uh, I hope that if you also celebrate Christmas, that you talk about the stuff with your family and your friends and that we don't allow for this holiday to go past and not have conversations about our responsibility to resist what our government has supported and where our government continues to support everything from arms, uh, from arms being exported to Israel to the moral support that comes from our government, despite the fact that they joined the ceasefire call, they're still fully in lockstep with Israel, my God. And uh, I hope, Sandy, you get some time off and that it's restful. You too. Happy New Year. Yes, well, Happy New Year. And uh, we'll talk to everybody in the new year. Bye. 